Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Mr. C with The C Report. Welcome, 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 one and all. Thank you again for joining us once again. This is Mr. C with The C Report, brought to you by QAholespodcast.com. All right, good evening, and uh, welcome again to another edition of The Sea Report with Mr. C, brought to you by Q&A Holes Podcast. I thank you all for joining us again for the second edition for February the 8th, Monday of this 2021. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's get right to the headlines As always, Trump leads, and uh, we have a story here from the Epic Times by Zachary Stiber. Uh, The title is, um, the title of the article is, Impeachment Managers, Trump Violated His Oath of Office, Incited Insurrection. So the reason why I want to start off with this, because we know we've already heard several stories uh, coming from basically uh, all media concerning this, uh, this Faux impeachment. What was the term that they used back in the day? This sham impeachment, because this is exactly what we're seeing here with the Democrats and the liberals, and yes, even ten Republicans. But we know that there are more than ten Republicans that are not truly on the side of President Donald Trump. So, with that in mind, we have another sham impeachment. And that's exactly why, um, you know, we see uh, the media really hyping up on it. But the reason why I personally want to keep hyping up on it is because, after all, one of my representatives is an impeachment manager. And we already know that these impeachment managers are going to be reaching when it comes to trying to find evidence to sustain a case against President Donald Trump when we have a man who basically was letting everyone know, hey, look, if I'm going to call for people who love America and if I'm going to call for, um, you know, um, people to come rally for a certain cause, which is to restore the Constitution, to make America first, to make it great again. Well, 1.7 million or more are going to show up. So think about that. And, you know, then there's all this speculation also about why exactly um, the gates and the fences and the walls are still up in Washington, D.C., why there are north of 5,000 National Guards um, who have been sworn in as uh, deputy U.S. marshals, in case anyone hadn't um, been aware or maybe have forgotten. So we have north of 5,000. At one point, there were 20 to 30. Um, I honestly think there's probably more than that there now, but, you know, I'm not one to say. So uh, let's see uh, what this um, article about impeachment and uh, what the impeachment managers have to say. House Democrats on Monday asserted overwhelmingly evidence exists showing former President Donald Trump violated his oath of office and incited an insurrection against the United States government. Democrats and 10 Republicans impeached Trump last month. House impeachment managers are going to try to convince senators of the charges laid out in a single article of impeachment when the impeachment trial starts Tuesday. The article claims Trump incited the January 6th breach of the U.S. Capitol by alleging the 2020 election was stolen and he was the rightful winner. In a document filed Monday, impeachment managers said Trump's alleged incitement disrupts the peaceful transfer of power. They said it was the most grievous constitutional crime ever committed by a president. There must be no doubt that such conduct is categorically unacceptable. The House will establish a trial that President Trump merits conviction and disqualification to hold and enjoy any office of honor, trust, or profit 
under the United States. The impeachment manager, led by James Raskin, wrote. So, this is very interesting. I'm surprised it wasn't Joaquin Castro who wrote that, because Joaquin's the little trollop that, um, you know, runs my district. And uh, he's serving as an impeachment manager as well, like I said. And this guy, this is the guy who he and his twin brother got together and they released the names of Trump donors here in the fair state of Texas. And um, while it was heartening to see what businesses in my local area were supporting Trump, uh, businesses that I was supporting anyways and will continue to support because of their bravery, It is a shame that these twin miscreant politicians were looking for reprisals for these businesses who donated and supported Trump. It kind of sounds like there's already some sort of bias here on the part of these managers who say that they're going after Trump because he incited a riot when transcripts of his speech show that he never did such a thing. And... Yet here we see they are still going to go after him. Bias much? Kind of reminds me of Peter Strzok and the case of, oh my goodness, we'll make sure Trump never wins. Very interesting article. So I would recommend some of y'all go and check that out. Um, But yeah, so this is what's going to happen. They're going to keep trying to say that uh, he uh, incited an insurrection. Like I said, it went from the body count went from one person the day of the insurrection, the supposed insurrection, because I personally think the insurrection took place probably somewhere between noon and one Um, and maybe, I mean, someone said that there was an actual reason why they delayed the speech Trump, the the Trump speech, because Trump was supposed to have given his speech at 11 a.m. at the ellipse. And we should have been at the Capitol by noon, but we ended up at the Capitol after one, some of us at two right? So what was that all about? Well, that's what I say. The delay was caused by the fact that the insurrection happened at noon, just as they said. But the only people who showed up at that insurrection were all of the provocateurs. Perhaps the Antifa people, perhaps the BLM people, perhaps the far-left people, perhaps the far-right people, perhaps the um, Proud Boys who were infiltrated by the FBI or CIA. Perhaps this is what happened. Perhaps this is the reason why we were withheld from the Capitol until 1 to 1.30 p.m. and the supposed riot did not occur until almost 2 p.m. where I was there... And that, all of that scenario did not seem to be the case. Um, If the riot had happened at 2 p.m. between 2 p.m. and 6 p.m. four hours later, there was no such rioting, there was no such violence, there was no such destruction, there was no such graffiti and vandalism, there was no such uh, predominantly negative responses as you would see at a Black Lives Matter rally or an anti-Trump protest, or a protest that is protesting Trump. So this is, a, this is again, this is a theme that we're going to keep seeing in the media. And so as long as individuals keep uh, speaking about the violence of the left and the violence of the liberals and the violence of the people that Democrats seem to support, as long as we keep speaking the truth about this, we'll see that, you know, Indeed, (laughs) Antifa will strike and strike and strike again, and they will have to talk about this organization that is not an idea, but is very much so an organized and violent crime and terrorist group. Now, in uh, other news, we have Meghan McCain trashing pro-impeachment Republicans. And she says it's a losing strategy. Now, first of all, before I read this article, and the only reason why I'm even sharing a Meghan McCain 
um, you know, article is because we have to remember, (coughs) excuse me, who Meghan McCain is. Meghan McCain is the daughter of Cocaine McConnell's best buddy, John McCain. John McCain is the guy who was uh, hanging out with, um, I don't know, the Taliban and, uh, you know, kind of, uh, you know, violating certain rules and regulations that our government like to follow in order to make sure that we're not hanging around with the enemy and conspiring to bring down the nation. Treasonous John McCain. John the traitor McCain. John the executed. Well, let's see what his daughter has to say, since, after all, she is the daughter of a treasonous, quite very treasonous, son of a pistol whip. The article from Breitbart says, Meghan McCain told her co-hosts Monday on ABC's The View that reports of House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, a Republican of California, asked Representative Liz Cheney the Republican of Wyoming, to apologize for voting to impeach former President Donald Trump concerned her because it is a losing strategy. McCain said that there was a really interesting report that came out in Axios over the weekend that said that Kevin McCarthy actually asked her to apologize for voting for impeachment, and she said that. She said, people in the caucus asked me to apologize, and she said that publicly. It is interesting to know that it is the leader of the caucus that asked her to do that, and she defiantly said she won't apologize, and she has nothing to apologize for. I know, I now am feeling very concerned about the fact that the leader of Republicans in Congress seems to think that if you are impeachment, if you are for impeachment, you have something to apologize for and atone for. And I do think that's a losing strategy. I'm very skeptical of the big tent party narrative right now because it doesn't seem like there's a lot of love for Liz Cheney of the party, which I guess at this point includes me. She added, I'm very skeptical of the promises that will that we will respect the Liz Cheney after this. My question is, how long until we are trashing her? I think she's doing good work now, but a certain point, she's a red-blooded conservative. She's not a squish or a rhino. She is not someone in the middle. Oh, really, Mrs. McCain? Now, let me reread this. Um, let me reread this headline: Meghan McCain trashing pro-impeachment Republicans is a losing strategy. Yes, Miss McCain. You are, just as we thought, a Judas goat. Yeah, um, so, you know, that's that's to give you some perspective on Miss McCain. You may never hear from Miss McCain again. Um, I mean, Megan is not her mother who actually kind of admitted to the whole child trafficking and the whole uh, child abuse that's going on um, in government and in media and in celebrity and in circles of the elite. No, Megan, that is not you. You, Megan, perhaps should have been alongside your father when he was facing his tribunal for the treason that he committed against this country so that you could see firsthand what happens to individuals that undermine the constitution and the will of the American people. That's all I got to say, Megan. You may no longer be seen in the pages of the Sea Report. And with that, Megan, I bid you adieu.
The next story we have for tonight is uh, from Newsmax, and um, it is entitled Biden, India's Modi Speak of Climate, Democratic Values in First Talks. So, um, yeah, I wanted to share this uh, article primarily because I'm really interested in how Biden communicated with uh, Modi. Did he perhaps take um, a personal jet over to India to speak with him in person? Or did he have a cyber conference from his basement in his jammy jams? Let's find out. Biden, India's Modi speak of climate democratic values in first talk from Newsmax. President Joe Biden signaled he would seek to deepen the close U.S. relationship with India in his first talks with Prime Minister Narendra Modi, as he added climate change and democratic values to the agenda. Biden's telephone call marked a continuation of the upbeat tone of his predecessor, Donald Trump, who paid a state visit to India a year ago on his last foreign trip as his administration saw a partner in its tough stance on China. But Biden also raised climate change, which the new U.S. leader has elevated to a top priority amid the planet's rapidly warming temperatures. Biden and Modi committed to work closely together to win the fight against the COVID-19 pandemic, renew their partnership on climate change, rebuild the global economy in a way that benefits the people of both countries, and stand together against the scourge of global terrorism, the White House said in a statement. In New Delhi, the Prime Minister's office said Modi welcomed Biden's raising of climate ambitions and rejoining of the Paris Accord, which Trump withdrew. It said that Modi looked forward to participating in a climate summit that Biden plans to call in April. India is the third largest emitter of carbon dioxide responsible for climate change after China and the United States, and historically has argued that it is unfair for it to be held to the same rules as developed nations. The White House said Biden had underscored his desire to uh, defend democratic institutions and norms around the world and noted that a shared commitment to democratic values is the bedrock of the U.S.-India relationship. India enjoys broad support in the United States, but has come under growing criticism from some lawmakers in Biden's Democratic Party as Modi pursues his Hindu nationalist agenda, including revoking the statehood of Muslim-majority Kashmir. India in recent days has drawn additional scrutiny from prominent figures, including pop superstar Rihanna, and climate activist Greta Thunberg over internet blackouts around New Delhi, where protesting farmers have been camped out for more than two months. The White House said Biden also spoke to Modi about how the rule of law and the democratic process must be upheld in Burma, where the military retook power a week ago. Mm. India has a close relationship with its neighbor, also known as Myanmar, maintaining contact with its military even as Western nations shun it on human rights grounds. So very interesting. Very interesting indeed. I find it very interesting to note that uh, Biden is reaching out from his basement in his jammy jams to make a phone call to the Modi. Well, it's not, he's not officially the Modi, but Modi of India. Um, in order to ensure that India will back up the United States in any actions that they may take towards Myanmar or Burma, the um, state or country next to uh, (coughs) India that has uh, been seized in a military coup and has taken its democratically 
elected civilian government into custody pending an investigation into their election where it is said that they had several irregularities and i ask the listeners could these be the same irregularities that we saw during the 2020 the 2016 elections both and the 2018 elections uh here in the united states so that's something interesting to talk about and something interesting to think about. I hope you guys feel that way yourselves. Our next uh, topic takes us right over to uh, uh, right over to the Gateway Pundit is what it looks like we're headed to. Now, I wanted to kind of, you know, uh, you know, just bring up about a little bit of news that's happening around Washington, D.C. I, I guess I kind of like to lead out with uh, Trump when it comes to the sea report, and then we'll take a little spiel around the uh, nefarious swamp of um, Washington, D.C. And uh, this is all about keeping that uh, cast of characters that were most important to us during the Trump administration to keep an eye on. Um, this one this article from the Gateway Pundit, he was really working against this administration in a lot of ways. Trump administration's Peter Navarro on Deep State's AG, Bill Burr. Now, <coughs> pardon moi. <coughs> now, It is not easy being in a uh, <clears throat> collared and buttoned and uh, tie, button shirt and tie. But we're doing um, we're doing a recording and a simulcast of this show today. So, anyhow, as I was saying, <clears throat> we'll be talking about Bill Barr. Billiam Barr. Let me tell you a little bit about Billiam Barr because I refer to him as the cuddly wuddly teddy bear. He was the honey Joe bear of the QAnon movement. <laughs> no, just kidding. He was he was he was the new hope. He was Mark Hamill. He was C3PO. I don't know. We were all rooting for you Bill Barr, Billiam Barr. You were the B-2 bomber, but it seems like the only two bombs you had to drop were the bombs you dropped on that terrible day of teabagging. Let's see what the Gateway Pundit has to say about Mr. William Barr. Bill Barr, I mean, you know, we, we, kinda, we kind of done heard that William Barr, William Barr, Mr. Bill Barr himself, was... Um, questionable when it came to some of his dealings in the past and questionable about whether or not he would have turned over a leaf and redeemed or if he would be among the first to prelude the disappointment theme of 2021 for not only were people who were holding their torch to William Barr as the B-2 bomber that would take the Trump administration home and free the people of the United States from the globalists who have entrenched our country and sold us out to foreign interests. Well, Bill, you let us down. Anyways, so, as I was saying, this article from <laughs> the Gateway Pundit goes on. Peter Navarro, President Trump's assistant to the president, director of trade and manufacturing policy, and the National Defense Production uh, Act policy coordinator, spoke out today on Sunday Morning Futures about former Attorney General William Barr. According to Peter Navarro, Bill Barr was fast-tracking Biden's executive orders while he was slow-walking President Trump's. Navarro shared that the last check mark that had to be done to complete the executive order process was to run the order by the Department of Justice. So I'm going to stop right here because that's very interesting to know. Now, everyone knows that Bill Barr resigned before January 20th when um, 
President-elect signed his death warrant and document contract for treason against the United States of America and illegitimately, illegitimately assume, assumed the office of the President of the United States. We know that happened on January 20th, but let me ask you something. How on earth is it possible that someone like Bill Barr, AG of the United States of America, can fast-track executive orders of a man who has not yet illegitimately assumed the office of the president, while Trump is still the official president of the United States of America. Bill Barr, you are one dirty chubby wubby. Let me tell you what, Bill Barr must play very, very dirty. I, you know, I'm, we're trying to make this show family friendly, so I will stifle myself now. Let's go back to the article here. I am just simply blown away, honestly, ladies and gentlemen, that, and you know, let's see if the general public can connect the dots. Let's see if, you know, uh, you know, the people in, in Washington, because, you know, certainly if I'm saying these things, if I know these things, if, if the layman in general, like myself, knows and understands these things, you know... <laughs> They should have something called Office of the Layman or Office of the Lay General or some shit like that because, ah, dang it, I done did it. I'm going to get an explicit on my show now. Jesus. Okay. See what happens when I get sidetracked. Okay. Forget the Office of the Layman. Let's talk about Bill Barr, this traitorous buffoon. This bulbous. Beluga whale. Okay, let's see here. Um, here's the news behind the news. Bill Barr, President Trump's attorney general, also, it turns out, happens to be Joe Biden's first attorney general. Because here is what was happening. We had over 30 executive orders queued after election day, ready to go, but we kept running into these roadblocks, roadblocks and hurdles. It turned out that Bill Barr's Office of Legal Counsel was fast-tracking all of these Biden executive orders, and basically it was a deep state coup. Now this has implications, Maria. I have to stop there because, oh my god, Bill Barr is the B2 bomber. He dropped bombs of bull all over President Trump. Here he was acting like he was such a good guy. Oh my goodness, Billy boy. Bill Barr. Oh my god, Bill Barr. Bill Barr. You were my honey Joe Bear, Bill Barr. I cannot believe you. The article continues. Navarro went on to explain how the DOJ helped approve a Biden executive order where he allowed the Chinese access to the U.S. power grid, which would have horrible consequences if the U.S. gets into a predicament with China. Biden's order will allow China to take down the U.S. grid and Barr's DOJ approved it. At the same time, Navarro was unable to get through an order on offshooting, which never went through to the DOJ. Okay, how on earth could... A man who is not even elected president do such a thing. Like, this man has not even been sworn in. And Bill Barr was signing executive orders for him and fast-tracking him through the Department of Justice. You see, what we learned from... Um, Millie Weaver 
and torysays.com in regards to the sunrise movement was that there was a group of bureaucratic SEOs that work for the government, obviously, and they were planning to use bureaucracy to slow roll anything Trump was going to do if he won the election. And the violent coup didn't take off like Maria J. Stefan, Mark Esper's uh, friend there, had planned. But I really do believe that they succeeded when it came to the bureaucratic slow rolling of everything Donald Trump. I think maybe... The Trump administration missed that. Maybe they missed having, uh, you know, agents or good guys in the bureaucracy mill, mill, mill run, you know, that could kind of see or check what some of these SEOs were doing and what they were planning and what they were organizing. Um, I guess we're lucky we even got to see the footage of these people, you know, cavorting, thanks to, again, Millie Weaver and Tori Lindman. Anyways, so, wow, very interesting. I cannot believe that Will Barr was this, this bad, this bad of a disappointment. He was a terrible disappointment, and I'm glad that he was disappointed. And like I said, that is as it should be. When we find out the good guy is bad, they get disballed, and we move on. Now... Moving right along, let's talk about some other Washington, D.C. trash. And this one will tend to come up from time to time among, you know, we individuals who enjoy talking politic, especially amongst the patriot community, because this one, she's terrible. She's terrible. She makes for great satire material, though. Especially when you uh, want to mock her saying someone did something. Someone did something. Oh, yes, ladies and gentlemen, we are indeed talking about Ilhan Omar. Where it has been found that Honey Mama Ilhan funneled even more millions of dollars into her hubby's consulting firm coffers than was once thought Escándalo, 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 escándalo con Ilhan Omar. Bien, bien, bien. <laughs> Ven para acá. Come on and find out all about it. All right, Ilhan. Okay, so we knew that Ilhan, she's just this woman from Somalia who has been uh, just rife with scandals since she has been a member of Congress and the squad. And I don't even know where she came from. I mean, I'm guessing she went to school here in the States and, uh, you know, she, she came here saying that she was married to a certain man who ended up being her biological brother. Um, and then she married, I guess, you know, uh, some other dude. Uh, and uh, this dude um, was actually cheating on his wife, I guess. Anyways, so then it comes out that she's been uh, funneling money or laundering money f- through her campaign into this dude's um, uh, firm. It kind of reminds me, his consulting firm, it kind of reminds me of the Maxine Waters story that we talked about a few nights ago where Maxine Waters has funneled millions of dollars into her daughter's, like, I don't know, advertising agency or, you know, uh, political PR agency or some crap like that. Millions of dollars are her... It was like her her letter-printing foundation for the agency for, you know, for elections and stuff like that. So I was like, wow, this is a lucrative business to be in. You know, like, why did not anyone in my family ever run for office? Because we could have been doing this a long time ago. Anyways, uh, yeah, we wouldn't really do this, guys. We would, uh, you know, if I'm planning to, if I'm planning to be a stand-in for Joaquin Castro, then I need to make sure that I walk the straight and narrow. You know what I mean? I don't have time to be wrapped up in any uh, uh, election campaign fraud. 
All right, so let's get to let's get to Ilhan Omar's election campaign fraud. This article comes from the Right Scoop, and uh, it says Ilhan Omar funneled even more millions than thought from campaigns to Hubby's consulting firm. Let the record reflect that this Hubby is not the one that was her biological brother. Now, the article goes on to say, Representative Ilhan Omar, when she isn't advocating the destruction of Israel or bashing the police or messing around doing some voter fraud, puts a lot of time into biking campaign donors to enrich herself. Bilking campaign donors. In fact, according to a new report, it's more than we previously thought. It's ironic considering that one or more uh, use of her time is undermining America and capitalism because she's allegedly opposed to greed. The free beacon has the latest. Representative Omar, Democrat of Minnesota. Her campaign payments to her husband's firm accounted for nearly 80% of its cash haul during the 2020 elections federal filing show. The E Street Group, a DC consulting firm owned by Tim Minette, Omar's husband, and his partner, Will Haler, received $3.7 million from political committees this past cycle. Omar's campaign was by far its biggest moneymaker, doling out 146 checks for $2.9 million, or 78% of the firm's payments. Its second biggest cash source was Omar's mentor, Representative Pramila Jayapal, a Democrat of Washington whose campaign provided $194,000. The two combined for 85% of the firm's payment. That's 85%, everybody. Also, the article goes on to state, Omar's payments to E Street constituted a large part of her campaign expenditures. Her committee spent $5.2 million, meaning that the $2.9 million that she funneled to her husband's firm was 56% of the campaign's operational cost. Omar pledged to sever ties with the firm following her re-election, but before doing so, her campaign paid E Street Group $138,000 filing show. The firm has also received nearly $200,000 from Representative Pramila Jayapal. Democrat of Washington. Despite taking in millions from Omar's campaign, Minet's firm also received more than half a million dollars in bailout cash last year intended to help small businesses cope with the economic downturn caused by the coronavirus pandemic. So they also got bailout money. That's pure graft. Graft from the overt grift she's running. Anyone wagering on CNN getting fired up over this? Surely fake tapper and FDABC stelter will be outraged. At Fox News for reporting it. So that's pretty interesting here. This in uh, information that comes from the rights group, Grift Graft, Ilhan Omar funneled even more millions than initially thought to her husband's campaign. So this just goes to show, like, I'm pretty sure that justice is coming for Ilhan Omar. There's just no way that she can get away with everything that she's gotten away with and everything that has been documented of her behavior, her schemes, and her activities that shows that she is by far not only treasonous and anti-American, but she is a fraud and she is also a crook. And she is quite crooked indeed. So uh, that's some news from around Washington, D.C. And, um, you know, it's been a great night so far. Let's see what we got next.
And staying on the beat of pedophiles and sex offenders, uh, the Daily Mail dot com reports even rachel wood reveals police reports she made last year after learning marilyn manson's wife lindsay usich was conspiring to release photos of me when i was underage to shut me up as she posts one of the career ruining shots herself Hollywood actor Wood, 33, posted an Instagram story Saturday making the allegations against her ex-fiance, a fiance's wife, and sharing a photo of the police report. She shared screen screen grabs of an online chat where two users were discussing a person named Lindsay asking for pictures of Evan. In the chat, one account says they have photos that would ruin Wood's career. She shared what she said was one of the pictures that Usage was using uh, was seeking of Wood in Manson's stage hat and an Adolf Hitler-style mustache drawn on her face. Wood first broke her silence Monday to name Manson, 52, as her alleged abuser, who she said horrifically abused me for years. On Friday, she posted fresh claims that Manson hurled anti-Semitic abuse at her, has three Nazi tattoos, and drew swastikas on her bedside table. She is one of at least 11 women who this week have accused Manson of abuse. Manson has denied all the allegations of distortions of reality. Police were called out to Manson's Hollywood Hills home Wednesday to carry out a welfare check after a concerned friend was unable to contact him. This story continues. Yes, that's uh, very crazy. Um, Rachel Sharp continues uh, for the DailyMail.com. Even Rachel Wood has said she was forced to file a police report last year after allegedly learning that Marilyn Manson's wife, Lindsay Usich, was conspiring to release photos of her when she was underage to ruin my career and shut me up as she posted one of the pictures herself. Um, so here we see, apparently, apparently Marilyn Manson's time has finally caught up with him. Apparently Marilyn Manson's Me Too moment is here. Are we going to see the man, Marilyn Manson himself, cancelled? Are the things that he's been accused of, will they be carefully examined and brought to light? Is Marilyn Manson innocent? These are very interesting questions to ask because even what, it was probably sometime in the summer we had a show where we were talking about Marilyn Manson and uh, his estranged lover, one Miss Rose McGowan, and uh, discussing the probabilities of her being one of three hats, white, black, or gray. And uh, here we have a story now where we're seeing that Manson really does have, uh, seem to have a pattern of abuse when it comes to his former partners. Um, let's see here what else it has to say. Wood posted the latest accusations on her Instagram story Saturday, j- just days after she first broke her silence to name Manson52 as her alleged abuser, who she said horrifically abused me for years. On Friday, she posted fresh claims that Manson hurled anti-Semitic abuse at her, has three Nazi tattoos and drew swastikas on her bedside table um, when he was mad during their relationship. The allegations vary but include incidents involving physical violence, sleep deprivation, being piled, plied with drugs, forced into blood pacts, and one woman having a gun held to her head. Senators Kevin S. Parker and Susan Rubio have both called for full investigations, while Manson has denied all the allegations as distortions of reality. Industry insiders have sought to distance themselves from the controversial rocker with his record label, talent agency, and longtime manager Tony Keola, all dropping him this week. Police were called out to Manson's Hollywood Hills home Wednesday night to carry out a welfare check after a concerned friend was unable to get in touch with him as new allegations continue to surface against him. 
Wow, so that's very interesting. Very interesting indeed. And uh, it looks like, you know, because it could be one of two things for Manson. I mean, well, I guess it could be several things. I guess it would be absolutist to say that there's only one or two options for Manson. Either he's a good guy or a bad guy. I mean, he could just be an I don't care guy, which would make him, you know, a gray guy, I guess. But um, I I think, you know, as him having been part of, you know, um, uh, the satanic church, and I, I believe he was a high minister at one point for, or a preacher or a minister for the church anyways, um, unless he were a plant from the jump as a white hat undercover, I mean, I think this man might have actually participated in some of these uh, events that the Hollywood elite and others seem to participate in during certain times of the year and for certain reasons that will not be named at this point on the Sea Report because we are going to stay on track. But uh, yeah, so um, let's see here. The actor said a conversation about the photos took place on a Discord channel and she shared screen grabs of a chat between two accounts. Yep, so it just looks like this woman um, is coming forward in regards to Marilyn Manson being an abuser of hers. It looks like 11 other women have. It looks like he's going to be in some sort of trouble because, um, I mean, there's Rose McGowan. Now there's this woman here. There's 11 other people. Um, if this isn't a takedown of a man who is either overtly satanic and, um, you know, throwing all of his crimes in front of our face, or if it isn't overtly an attack of a man who is a plant who is there to spy on the deep state and all of their satanic, you know, uh, activities, then I don't know what it is, but it definitely does sh go to show that um, within this world of, uh, you know, celebrity and music and movies and even uh, down through politicians, and uh, there is this world of abuse, whether it be sexual or hateful or ritualistic. And uh, this is yet another example of something that could be of that in regards to this nature. Now, in other celebrity news, we're seeing that uh, Whitney Houston has um, emerged again. And um, Whitney Houston, her name was her name was on my tongue this past weekend. So when our news director, Joe One of Two, uh, had asked about uh, some of the stories that we were going to be doing today, I was like, well, I have to do Whitney's story because we were talking about Whitney uh, the other day. Um just poking fun at her but okay so whitney houston's mother expresses horror over claim singer was molested by dd warwick this comes from people uh it was published july 11th 2018 so i thought it was uh something worth noting um it's a little bit of an aged story but let's keep let's uh let's see what it has to say about whitney Whitney Houston's mother expresses horror over claims singer was molested by Dee Dee Warwick by Janine Rubenstein on People magazine. We cannot overstate the shock and horror we feel, Sissy Houston tells People in a statement taking on allegations. Whitney was molested that were raised... Why Whitney... Taking on allegations, Whitney was molested that were raised in the new film Whitney. Who was the real... Who is the real Whitney Houston, and what was it that haunted her so very deeply? In the six years since the superstar's untimely death at the Beverly Hilton Hotel on February 11th, questions continue to swirl about how the beloved once-in-a-generation singer with the heavenly voice found herself so entrenched in addiction that it killed her. With the new documentary, Whitney, Oscar-winning director Kevin McDonald set out to answer these questions, interviewing over 60 of Whitney's closest friends and family members. But the final theory the film presents, that as a child, Whitney and older brother Gary were both molested by their cousin, Dee Dee Warwick, a trauma that tortured her throughout adulthood, has flared tensions in the already embattled Houston family. In the weeks People 
In this week's People cover story, family members and friends open up about Whitney's shocking untold story, while some find the child abuse claim helpful in solving the mystery that was Whitney Houston. Others, like her mother, Sissy, and Dee Dee's sister, Dion Warwick, find the allegation in the film painful, exploitative, and hard to believe. So that's interesting, huh? Whitney's shocking untold story. The reason why Whitney was into drugs and pain was because she had been molested as a child, it seems. Um, and uh, that, that's, that's very, very interesting because we see here again, um, they're trying to cast this shadow over what was going on with, you know, Whitney Houston in the time that she died. Um, there, there was this very convenient narrative, you know, and maybe it is true. Maybe it is true that this Dion Warwick did molest Whitney Houston. Maybe these things did happen. But what I'm trying to say is that even though this is the case, we do see here that they said that she was uh, entrenched in her addiction to the point that it killed her. She drowned in her tub in the Beverly Hilton Hotel. Like, there was an award ceremony going on. I think it was the VMAs or something like that at the same time. Now, I don't believe that she was performing. I think she might have been presenting. Um, but she was found dead in her tub like drowned and it was like what something like two inches of water or something like that so and and word on the street was that actually what was going on here is that for some reason um Whitney's daughter was in question here and Whitney's daughter was the one who'd actually been targeted for some reason I'm not going to speculate why but for some reason her daughter daughter had been targeted and Whitney gave her life in place of her daughters, right? And then one year later, I think it's almost one year to the day, if not one date to the date, if not one day to the day, Whitney's daughter is found dead in the exact same way that her mother was killed in two inches of water. I don't think that... She was a heavy drug user. I could be wrong. I don't follow celebrity gossip, but I do believe that they said uh, drugs may have been the issue. Maybe it might have even been suicide due to the fact that she was depressed. Um, you know, other stars have died the same way I think I've said before. Even Dolores O'Riordan of the Cranberries died in the exact same way in a hotel in Two Inches of Water. Reported suicide. Anyways, uh, very interesting article. I'm glad Joe One of Two dug this up just to make this connection here because we're going to connect them dots here at the Sea Report because sometimes that is what it is all about. All right, guys, the last two articles I want to share with you all tonight I think is just a little bit of interesting news. Um, what is one thing that happens when there are false flags that occur in the United States of America? What is a pattern that we have seen uh, whenever some type of, and ooh, I said the word false flag, dun, dun, dun. But what is something that we have seen when it comes to uh, these, these events where something dramatic and oftentimes deadly occurs? And then legislation is fast-tracked in the wake of the emotion that that event stirs. What is a pattern that we see in that regard? Well, a pattern, my friends, would happen to be... Um, a pattern would happen to be that there is a training exercise or there is some kind of live-action exercise going on at the same time that these are happening... And um, pretty much because the training exercise is going on, no one realized that it's actually a live action. And when things go kinetic, uh, they were able to get away with it because they thought it was part of the training exercise. This happened with 9-11. Uh, this happened with uh, the Boston bombing. This happened with other events as well, even down into history. 
and declassified, um, declassified, uh, declassified documentation. So, um, here we have a training exercise and, you know, going through the news, it's like, okay, so I'm going to see what we got going on. I'm going to see what's out in the aggregate and let's see how many of these articles are matching. Let's see how many. So I thought these two articles were matching. It turns out they're not matching articles, but they are similar. They're about training exercises, mock combat exercises that are coming to a theater near you. Air Force launches red flag mock combat exercise amid COVID. So this story comes from just the news. Air Force launches red flag mock combat exercise amid COVID. The program this year includes Space Force Guardians. So Space Force Guardians will be performing, or not performing, but will be will be engaged in this mock combat exercise alongside the Air Force. So this is exciting. So we're going to have Space, Space Force Guardians. So get ready for that, guys. Now, the article says, The annual red flag mock air warfare exercise hurdles onward this year in the skies above Nevada, adjusting for COVID-19 and incorporating the new Space Force Guardians to train alongside Air Force pilots and cyber warriors. The exercise is one of the U.S. Air Force's largest combat training drills designed to teach pilots and supporting crews how to win in air combat. The realistic scenarios include air-to-air dogfights against Russian MIG aircraft. The drill commenced January 25th and runs through February 12th at Nellis Air Force Base near Las Vegas. This year, the training sorties are more intense than in previous seasons, according to the commander of the unit that runs the program at Nellis. The sorties are playing out over an expanded airspace in the Nevada desert with aggressor forces unleashed against defending forces, said Colonel William Reese, who commanded or commands the 57th Wing's 414th Combat Training Squadron. In fighting the mock defenders, the aggressor team will punish their mistakes, he said. The red flag is a much better training opportunity and will galvanize our coalition force readiness to meet any high-end threat, Reese said. In order to help stave off the coronavirus, organizers have placed participants into small groups for briefings, meetings, and transport to and from the flight line. If one person tests positive for COVID-19, his or her group will be isolated so that others can continue to train, according to the Air Force Base. The Red Flag program was formed after the Vietnam War when Air Force planners recognized that fighter pilots had a better chance of surviving air combat if they had engaged in 10 combat missions. The training program was designed to provide that experience, similar in concept to the Navy's more recognizable Top Gun program at the Fighter Weapons School, Red Flag is a highly competitive recurring event. Red Flag 21-2, the first is the current season, involves some uh, 2,400 participants, including air crews from Australia and the United Kingdom. According to the Air Force, American aircraft will include fighter jets such as F-22 Raptor and the F-35 Lightning, the F-15 Strike Eagle, and the F-16 Fighting Falcon. The new Space Force Guardians will perform what the service calls non-kinetic duties, such as planning and cyber functions. For most participants, this is their very first time participating in Red Flag, said Space Force Captain Kaylee Taylor, Chief of Non-Kinetic Integration at the 414th CTS. For the Space and Cyber Non-Kinetic Functional Team leads, it may be their first time doing mission planning. For the pilots, it may be their first time seeing non-kinetics, space, or cyber integrated into the air fight. We introduce it to them so they can prepare to compete and win in all domain combat operations. That sounds pretty cool. 
The exercise this year is being held in conjunction with Green Flag West, a drill at Fort Irwin, California, to train Army and Air Force crews to work together in combat. Space Force also conducts its own exercises. Space Flag, set in an orbital domain. So that's a pretty, pretty interesting article here. Uh, Space Force Guardians will be joining up to participate in this red flag combat exercise that also includes, as it said, uh, international forces such as um, Australia and the United Kingdom. So the Crown Colonies coming on over to the lost third Crown Colony that's just been reinstated by the illegitimate presidency of Joe Biden. But uh, so that's running now for the next four days. It looks like it'll be over in four days out there on Nellis Air Force Base. If you guys don't remember where Nellis Air Force Base is, that's the Air Force Base that gets blown up in uh, um, in. Uh, no, 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 no. It's one of the Air Force bases that gets blown up in Independence Day. I think they mentioned it. I don't think that's the actual one that they're at. I can't remember. But so here's the other story that we have going on here. In regards to war games, the United States hosts Pacific War Games with Australia and Japan aimed at countering Russia-China attack. So we have this going on over here stateside um, on the, up through the 12th. And then we have another one starting. It says the United States military has kicked off joint war games with Australian and Japan. Uh, on the Western Pacific Island of Guam, which will specifically focus on countering a theoretical future aerial attack from Russia or China. So, just to interject real quickly, by the way, this is from Zero Hedge. Um, the United States is, gonna, is currently kicked off, I guess as of the 8th of February. So right now, there is something going on in Guam with our military doing a mock, com- uh, a mock uh, combat um, air flight, and then we have something going on right now in Nevada with mock aerial flight and combat scenarios. But the one that we should be concerned about, maybe, is uh, the one that's happening in Guam, because Guam, according to some representatives in the House, could capsize if too many people are on the island. So, you know, the weight of all of those fighter jets. Make sure they're not landing on the island, please. Nations, keep them to the, uh, keep them to the, uh, keep them to the warships. All right, the article goes on. The joint exercises, dubbed Cope North 2021, began last Wednesday and are scheduled to run all the way to February 19th. Oh, so these have been going for some time. Crucially, the exercises will include F-35A Joint Strike Fighters, marking the first time the advanced stealth jets are deployed to Anderson Air Force Base at Guam. Exercise Quope North 21 aims to provide an opportunity for the forces to own their combined air tactics while enhancing support to the Indo-Pacific region. According to a U.S. military statement, Australia is participating for the 11th time in the U.S. Pacific Air Force's largest multilateral exercise. China and Russia can increasingly hold overseas U.S. bases at risk. To adapt, the Air Force must evolve from its dependence on well-established airfields or risk-building an operational edge. Brigadier General Jeremy Sloan, commander of the 36th Wing at Anderson, said at a press briefing for military reporters. Essentially, the exercises will focus on preventing a hostile major power from coordinating any surprise attack that might wipe out U.S. air power with missile attacks. It comes as relations between China and Australia are at their lowest point in years over the ratcheting trade dispute which has seen Beijing block Aussie commodities, uh, commodities exports squeezing key Australian industries given China remains its largest export destination. 
Australian commander Nathan Christie described in a statement on exercise COPE North 21, more than 2,000 military personnel and approximately 95 aircraft from the Royal Australian Air Force, the United States Air Force, United States Navy, United States Marine Corps, and the Japan Air Self-Defense Force are scheduled to participate in this exercise. So that's uh, that's some pretty crazy war gaming going on there. These exercises that are going on right now. We have two two combat exercise um, uh, scenarios being run. One in the Pacific down there in the uh, capsizable island of Guam, and one over in Nevada. It kind of makes you wonder what's going on. Of course. These are events that do repeat annually, so it's not to say that they were uh, getting a heads up to do something uh, malignant, or perhaps these forces there to guard the skies in a benign way, but perhaps we should be happy that they are there. Again, I do think it's pretty interesting that we have um, the Space Force Guardians involved in the air um, combat scenarios there in Nevada, um, what if something were to go off, you know, in, uh, in Guam with, uh, Japan and China and the United States? Um, maybe it's a good thing that the Space Force Guardians are on hand. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Sea Report with your host, Mr. C. That's me. I know I enjoyed myself tonight talking to you and sharing some of this news. We will see you again tomorrow uh, for session A and B. And in the meantime, make sure you go to QAndAholesPodcast.com. Check out the website. Check out the blog. And subscribe. And uh, enjoy the rest of your evening. Have a good night. Something is haunting the town. Adam Longoria has gone missing, and his sister claims she's been seeing a bad man in the shadows. Jesse Bachman confronts a terror that is haunting the town of Suval, but will he be able to stop a pure evil that wants him dead? Get the chilling new novella by Michael Aaron Cassidis, author of The Distance to the End. A Trick of the Eyes, a stunning new work of horror that is keeping readers turning the page. Get A Trick of the Eyes anywhere books are sold, online or in stores, ask for it by name. A Trick of the Eyes by Michael Aaron Casares.